Hello, I'm Pastor Eric Longman. Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Rogers, Arkansas. Each week we gather to talk through some passage of scripture or some interesting topic that has come up in the life of a church, and we invite you to come along for the ride and to listen in. Just a bit of a setup, Holy Trinity is a member congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, or LCMS. We believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we place Jesus and his suffering, death, and resurrection for the sake of sinful people like you and me at the center of our teaching. You should know going in that I'm very much open to exploring rabbit holes in Bible study. I take on it as simple. Whatever passage of scripture we're looking at is just an entry point. It gets us into God's word and it opens the door for the discussion to go wherever the Holy Spirit takes us. So don't be surprised when we wander down some pathways that maybe are only tangentially related to the topic at hand. It makes for some interesting conversations, and we're blessed with a group that's happy to share their experiences along the way. So with that, let's jump in to this week's episode. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Longman. Um, just so that everybody in the room knows we are recording this for the podcast that gets posted. So the usual caveat applies, and that is don't say anything that you don't want on the Internet forever. Um, assuming I remember to post the podcast, which I did last week. Um, before we jump in, any questions that anybody has about anything? Nothing. Um, so you're aware that um, we have an open house going on at the food pantry uh, right now, if you want to go check that out and see what's going on. I know uh, a lot of people in the congregation donate to that ministry, but it's not something that you see um, because it happens during the week. And so it's kind of neat to get a, a feel for how all that plays out and how it works and kind of what the operation looks like in there, which is kind of amazing. I mean, the scale of it is pretty awesome. Um, so Krista's down there if you want to go check that out. And you won't offend me if you stand up and walk out right now. That's okay. Um, but we, we serve, for the food pantry ministry, just so you're aware of it, we, we serve anywhere from 50 to 75 families a month. Um, you know, upwards of 150 people um, with a variety of food that we give out. We purchase that from the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank. Um, who gives us very, very favorable rates, so we're able to buy a whole lot of food for not much money. Um, But we keep that stocked. We have, I think, now six freezers in there, and we've got storage space. We took over Cameron's old office when he left. Um, And so that's a it's a pretty amazing ministry. And and as a thank you for your support of that, that's what the open house is about. The other um, ministry that happens that you may not be aware of or don't ever see is our care fund. Um, and we help out folks with past due utility bills, with rent payments, with um, homeless folks we'll put up in a motel for a couple of days. We're handing out, you know, 100, 150 bucks at a time once every six months. And so far this year, we've given away over $40,000. So that's another one of those things that happens, you know, during the week. And most people don't see or, or know that that's happening. But I'm very proud that you write checks. Yes. And I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought you were handing out cash. No, no. <laughs> I write checks to the landlord or to the utility or to the hotel yeah, so, yeah, that, so that it is used for that purpose. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't know. Yeah, no, we don't hand out cash and, and would never. 
Um, the closest we would come to that is that we do occasionally have gas cards uh, that, we'll, that we'll give out, and especially this time of year when people are traveling more, you know, we'll give you a $20 gas card to go get some gas. But that's about it. But that's another amazing ministry, and, and y'all make that happen, so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I, I will tell you that CARE Fund is unlike anything I have ever been a part of in any congregation. Um, in my four years at St. Paul in my last call, um, that was a big congregation. We worshiped over a thousand on a Sunday. Um, if I gave out two thousand dollars over the course of that four years, that would be amazing. And and that's most pastors' discretionary funds tend to be funded a little bit at a time. So the fact that we're able to do it at the scale we are is just it's phenomenal. Not a budget item. It is not a budget item. That's entirely funded by donations. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know that got started many years ago, I think, by our Bible study. Did it really? The care fund? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, we used to give in, we had a pretty good sized group. There was mm -hmm. about 14 or 15 couples who mm -hmm. came. And uh, we'd kick in five bucks every time we met. Wow. And uh, Marshall Black started. Neat. And she said, we should each kick in five bucks. Yeah. Give it to faster. Because there are people that come in yeah. and need help. Yeah. Well, and I, some of you have heard this story. Um, Don and I, and this is months ago, but Don and I were having breakfast up here at the McDonald's, and and a guy came up to me, clearly homeless, but he walked up to me and he said, "You're the you're the pastor at that church down the street, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah," and he said, "Well, I have a friend who needs a place to stay for a couple of nights. I have a friend who this guy clearly could use it too." But, he said, and I know you sometimes help with that, right? And I said, yeah, we do. Have him come by, you know, here's the times and all that. And he said, all right, I'm going to send him because I know y'all are the church that helps. And I was like, that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. I like that. So just another way of kind of sharing the gospel with people. We do get to pray with people and kind of they let us in on some stuff that's going on in their lives, which is pretty cool. So thank you. Um, anything else? I mean, there's lots going on, you know, with midweek worship, with... Uh, we got a Wednesday service at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. We've got the soup supper at 5.30 on Wednesday. Um, the following week, we've got children's program at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, but there's also soup supper. We've got our usual worship. I mean, there's lots going on in Advent, so make sure you look close at the news and notes. We're on session 10. Uh, we've been working our way through the Augsburg Confession and the apology of the Augsburg Confession, just kind of looking at uh, the major teachings of the Lutheran Church. Um, we joked last, or two weeks ago, I guess I joked that there were 168 lessons in this series. That's not true. <laughs> There's 13. Um, so we'll wrap up pretty soon. I know we talked last week about some options for where we go next. Um, we had a recommendation to do a study of the book of Hebrews, to do a study of the book of Romans, maybe look at some of the Psalms. Was there anything else that came to mind? You had something else. I'm not sure I wrote it down. Psalms. Psalms. Okay. I said Luke. Luke, Luke, okay. I knew there was something that I had we failed started, to write. I think we went through chapter 10. Yeah, we did some selected ones back in uh, Lent because um, they just sort of led up to the Easter story. But yeah, we could do a Luke study. Anything else? How about Revelation? Re I'm not doing that again, man. Not yet. <laughs> Fred, just so you know, we, we did Revelation and it took like two years. <laughs> yeah, right. It took a hundred years to get through it. It took a while. <laughs> so, Dave, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> not for a while. Anyway. What else? Anything else that y'all are interested in? I'm going to put them all in a hat and just draw one out at random, I think. Okay. All right, cool. Well, so... 
if, unless anybody has any other questions about just stuff going on, we'll begin with a devotion. Um, again, from the book By Faith Alone, it's just a series of devotions written by Martin Luther, and there's one for every day of the year, so we'll just pick up today's, which is um, December 10th, Psalm 111, verse 2. The Lord's deeds are spectacular. They should be studied by all who enjoy them. And the title of that's a great verse. The title of this is Everyday Miracles. Luther writes, What the Lord does is spectacular. But in this passage, the psalmist points out that only a few devout people notice what God has done. Most don't praise God or thank him. They never say the Lord's deeds are spectacular. Though they are completely surrounded by his gifts, they have gotten used to them. They take advantage of what God has given them, rooting around in God's gifts like a hog in a bag of feed. They say, what's so special about the fact that the sun shines or fire gives warmth? The ocean provides fish. The earth yields grain. Cows have calves. Women give birth to children. Hens lay eggs. These things happen every day. Is something insignificant just because it happens every day? If the sun didn't shine for 10 days, suddenly it would be a great thing when it began shining again. If fire only existed in one place on the earth, I think it would be more precious than gold or silver. If there were only one well in the world, I would imagine that a drop of water would be worth more than a thousand dollars. God showers people with rich and wonderful blessings, but how ungrateful and blind people are. They don't recognize these blessings as amazing miracles from God, so they don't admire them give thanks for them, or act happy about them. However, if a clown can walk on a tightrope or train monkeys, people are ready to admire and praise him for that. The psalmist points out that the Lord's deeds are spectacular, but these deeds are only appreciated in the eyes of God's faithful followers. We pray. Heavenly Father, may our eyes and our hearts always appreciate the gifts that you give to us, even the ones that happen every day and seem normal or routine. We thank you for your word that has come to us and has been passed down, and we thank you for the opportunity to to gather around some of the writings of the forefathers of our faith, um, that we might uh, come to a better understanding of what it is that you teach. Um, Lead us, most importantly, to the greatest miracle, that is the birth and death and life of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might have salvation and be with you forever. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so session 10. We're looking at um, the Lord's Supper specifically. We spent some time leading up to this looking at baptism and talking about sacraments and what they mean and and what's going on with them. Um, So we're now looking into the Lord's Supper. We're looking at Articles 10, uh, 22, and 24 of the Augsburg Confession. Um, And we're on page 60 in your handout which is like the second page. Um, so I'm going to go back again and read this section about, uh, from um, where get off to? Article 10 uh, of the Oxford Confession as a starting point. Um, Article 10, Our churches teach that the body and blood of Christ are truly present and distributed to those who eat the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. And they reject those who teach otherwise. So that first question, what does Article 10 confess about the Lord's Supper? That is the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is, it is not 
represented. So, yeah, it is the body and blood of Christ are truly present. Um, the, the shorthand phrase that we often use for that is the real presence, the real presence. right? That, that we understand that the bread and the wine, that the body and blood of Christ is actually present in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Um, and that's against those who would say that it's symbolic or that it's just a memory of or that it represents it or something like that. Um, so what are the gifts or the benefits that Christ bestows in his supper? I mean, what do we get out of this? Other than, you know, a nice little snack. <laughs> Forgiveness? Yeah, anything else? Life, salvation. Who said that? <laughs> Forgiveness, life, and salvation. That's what, That's... Catechism answer, right? Um, for wherever there is forgiveness, there is also life and salvation. So forgiveness, life, and salvation come through the sacrament of Holy Communion. So what does it mean that both kinds are to be given to lay people in the sacrament? And we had this conversation last week a little bit. And why did the confessors insist on this practice? And I'm going to go back. Um, this is the kind of the second and third paragraphs from Article 22. The laity are given both kinds in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper because this practice has the Lord's command. Drink of it, all of you. Christ has clearly commanded that we should all drink from the cup. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, Paul cites an example. From this, it appears that the whole congregation used both kinds. This practice has remained in the church for a long time. It's not known when or by whom or by whose authority it was changed. Only a recent custom has changed this. Therefore, if anyone preferred to use both kinds in the sacrament, they should not have been compelled to do otherwise as an offense against their conscience. So what does it mean when we say both kinds are to be given to lay people? Body and blood. Body and blood, bread and wine, right? That, that we get both. Now the practice, and, and what they're speaking against was that the practice in Luther's day was that the, the body, the bread, would be given to the laity, but not the wine, not the blood. Um, still practice that way. In some Catholic churches. I don't know that it's common practice. Everyone I've been in. Who, we had a Catholic, somebody who was Catholic who had some background. Yeah, I, 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 it is. I mean, you're right, though. That, that is a practice in at least some Catholic churches still. Yeah. And, you know, like we, we talked about this last week, that I appreciate part of what's going on there, and that is a respect for the blood of Christ. But, but it's taken to a level that it actually denies somebody something that Christ has, has offered to us. So, why do the confessors insist on this practice? They weren't commanded Okay. Commanded yeah, right? They went to scripture, right? <laughs> and when, how long does the real present exist? Now, That's a whole different question. <laughs> That's a whole different question. Yeah. And, and it's one that there has been a lot of ink spilled about. Inside of me. Because, well, so certainly that, yeah. Um, there's nothing in Scripture that says, you know, how long is it, the bread and the wine, also body and blood, does it, does it fade away? I mean, what, there's nothing that says what's going on. And I, and I think, for me, where I would hang that, the hinge for the whole thing, is that, is that we receive that in faith. And so Luther says he is well prepared to receive the sacrament who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. And we can't read into it, but God looks at it at, in a at, at me, I think, differently when I... Certainly, because it conveys forgiveness. 
Yeah. The real presence of Jesus in me. Right. So that, yeah. That, I that, can't prove it. That's a gift that you are strengthened with the presence of Christ, right? So why do they insist on it, though? I mean, Judy's right. Scripture was part of it. Um, and it was. It, there's two things from Scripture that they look at, right? One of them is, well, Jesus said. I mean, he says, drink of it, all of you. So he's pretty clear about that. And then the second one is they go to 1 Corinthians where Paul actually gives an example of how they were doing communion. Now, <laughs> he gives the example because he's kind of chastising them. Okay. In Corinthians, like Paul's angry because they're not treating the sacrament with an appropriate level of, of understanding of what's going on. They had turned it into a snack. They had turned it into a meal where it, it was like, we're all going to get together and eat. And like whoever gets to the table first gets the best. Essentially, I mean, that's, you know, go back and look, read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. And some and were getting drunk. Some were getting drunk. I mean, you know, it was like, yeah. this is out of control. And that's what Paul is saying. He's going, whoa, 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 hang on, wait a minute. A little more than a little cup we get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like the story about yeah, the. The cup is good, wouldn't a gallon be better? <laughs> <laughs> that's been my approach through the years. <laughs> I told y'all the story about the, the guest pastor, right? And, and yeah, that, that's kind of that thing. So we had a guest pastor one time whose practice was to consume whatever was left over. Nobody told the altar guild. And I was the head elder at the time. And he said, you and I will commune last and, and we'll just finish off whatever's left of the wine. But nobody told the altar guild who gave a very generous pour in the common cup. And, and so we get done with communion and he comes out and he goes, you're going to have to help me with this. There was still like this much in the common cup. <laughs> So, Why is it not the blood of Christ and the wine at that point? Certainly, yeah, yeah. And that really that that practice, you know, what do you what do you do with what's left afterwards, right? And and one idea is you consume it, because like you say, it's still the body and blood of Christ. We want to treat it appropriately. Um and the other one is that it goes to ground, that we would pour it out on the ground with a prayer that we give back to God and to his own creation. And our practice at that church was it would go to ground, but the guest pastor, not his practice. So I tilted that sucker back and drank half a <laughs> half a cup. Fortunately, Donna was driving home that day. <laughs> Stumbled back to my seat. And, yeah. Go ahead, Myron. Could you rephrase your screen again? The difference between leaven and unleavened bread? It has to do with yeast. If it has yeast in it or not. Well, the, the, the practice would have been in Jesus' day that it was unleavened bread. And, and that actually ties back to the Passover. So remember, this is all happening at the Passover feast. Um, and so there's a remembrance of the Exodus going on. And the bread that was used for the Passover specifically was unleavened bread because they needed to have it quick because they weren't waiting for it to rise because they were going to have to go. So it's unleavened bread or flat bread um, that has no yeast in it. And, and so the typical practice would be to use unleavened bread simply because that's consistent with what Jesus would have used when he instituted it. Okay. Also, the same reason that we use wine and not, you know, Coke or Pepsi or something. I, you know, it's because Christ instituted it with wine, therefore we're going to use wine. Now, we do, we use, there's different practices um, in terms of, of alcohol-free. Because you do have members in the congregation who may have a sensitivity to alcohol, may have an issue with alcoholism or something like that, who would prefer to have a non-alcoholic option. Um, we use non-alcoholic wine. Um, I know some congregations use grape juice. I don't 
get a whole lot of heartburn about that because grape juice, honestly, as soon as it is squeezed, begins to ferment a little bit anyway. It sure does. So, so on some level, it's, you know, I get that. But, but we're specific about using wine. So we're not going to use some other liquid. Uh, and, you know, I think a meme that floated around about some church somewhere that had like, like a spread of all these different kind of things that you could pick and choose what you wanted to make your own communion out of. So there were crackers and there were Oreos and there were saltines and there were, you know, pita chips and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, why? Yeah. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear about what was going on. It was bread. It was wine. You know. You've got to define wine. Okay. Wine is the fruit of the grape. Mm -hmm. And the fruit of the grape has a number of elements in it. And one of them is alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. As it ferments. Um, one, drop, one drop of wine into a cup of water would make it wine. Right. And my, my How much wine is enough? <laughs> and my my take on that is that is that it I don't know that it's beneficial to get too pedantic about it. I agree. That that we really want to lean on the faith and the gift that God gives to us. So along those lines though, of kind of what we were just talking about, one thirty nine, in what ways does changing the Lord's institution burden consciences? Yeah, so it raises questions, right? It creates doubt. What else? You have a wonderful look on your face, Aaron. What are you thinking? <laughs> okay. Rules. Huh? Rules. Rules. Follow the rules. Well, yeah, do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. If you don't make it all complicated, then you do exactly what the Jews did with the law, and you're putting fences and okay. adding stuff to it, trying to make so, it more holy or right. change it. And so it's a legalism that, that gets in the way of the gospel that's being delivered. It's plain and simple what yeah. it is in Scripture, yeah. and it's not expounded upon because it doesn't need to be. Right, right. One thing we learned here decades ago, Pastor Burnham, I don't think you mind if you don't, but somebody gave white wine to the church. <laughs> yeah. Don't serve red wine for 20 years and then not warn people because it did kind of just, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. Right. There was nothing wrong with it. Right. So, <laughs> I love it. The, um, yeah, the lesson there is don't make changes unless you tell people what you're up to, right? Because it messes up your train of thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, see, the flip side of that was in my home congregation before I became a pastor, somebody put their foot down and said that it had to be red wine, period. And the pastor was like, cool, next week we're having white wine. <laughs> it was like, you know, and that's the flip side of it. It's like, we're not going to be Pharisees about this, but we are going to have wine. Um, and I've been in churches that did both, and I think I'm still okay. Um, so what, what error does Article 24 reject? And let me, I'll read you again that section. Our churches are falsely accused of abolishing the Mass. The Mass is held among us, and it's celebrated with the highest reverence. Nearly all the usual ceremonies are also preserved, except that the parts sung in Latin are interspersed here and there with German hymns. These have been added to teach the people. For ceremonies are needed for this reason alone, that the uneducated be taught what they need to know about Christ. It is clear that for a long time, the most public and serious complaint among all good people is that the Mass has been made base and profane 
by using it to gain filthy wealth, um, referring to 1 Timothy chapter 3. An opinion was added that in infinitely increased private masses, it states that Christ, by his passion, made satisfaction for original sin and instituted the mass as an offering for daily sins, both venial and moral. From this opinion has arisen the common belief that the mass takes away the sin of the living and the dead simply by performing the outward act. And I'm going to throw a phrase at you in Latin, which is ex opere operato, and I'll talk about that in a second. Our teachers have warned that these opinions depart from the Holy Scripture and diminish the glory of the passion of Christ. Christ's passion was an offering and satisfaction, not only for original guilt, but also for all other sins. As it is written, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Also, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, somebody summarize all of that. What's going on and what is it speaking against? Or what does it sound like he's talking about? They're talking about. Almost like turning the Mass into a sacrament itself. Yeah, yeah, turning the Mass into a sacrament itself. So what was going on was this practice. So saying the Mass, or you know, the worship service, had turned into something that, that by just by being in worship, your sins were taken away. And so what happened was, your sins, by the way, are, are covered by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we remember and receive in worship. But what was happening was they were saying, your sins are removed and forgiven by going to church. So what do I need Christ for? If that's all it is, if I can go to this service and my sins are forgiven, then Christ doesn't really matter. And, and that had gone to another level when, when people were like, well, cool, since saying the Mass takes sins away, then I'm going to hire a priest and have him say a Mass for me. I don't even need to go. It'll cover me. Well, and, also, and by the way, I'm going to do it for Aunt Sally, who died last week, too. Is that where you were going with it? Also, it also became a revolutionary. Oh, totally. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, like... like yeah, it's the gig economy for priests, right? And then you got all the dead. Yeah, so we're saying masses for the dead, and, and all of a sudden, the center of the center of the faith became about the mass and not about Jesus Christ. What were we going to say? I had a uh, person who was taking my adult information class once and said. Uh, I paid the priest fifty bucks to say mass for my mother. And I'm saying, it didn't do any good. The priest probably needs 50 bucks, all right, but don't do it for someone who's already in heaven. Right. Right. That is still practice today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So it became almost like a superstition. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. What were you going to say? At that time, they were having the the service in in uh, in Greek in Latin in Latin, Latin. Latin. Yeah. and the, nobody knew no, what was going no on. No one knew what was happening. Right. What the words meant right. or said. Right. So that brings us back around to ex opere operato, which I which I threw at you, which means um, done by the doing, essentially. 
And, and so the idea is that simply by saying the Mass, your sins are forgiven. Done by the doing. Done by the doing. Accomplished by the doing. So, so simply by going to church, your sins are forgiven. Okay? And, and again, it put the emphasis on the worship on the Mass rather than on Jesus Christ, who is the actual source of our salvation. You could pay for confession. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, somebody to confess for you. Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like but it was somebody to exercise for you. Yeah, yeah, that, oh, that's a really good analogy, actually. Yeah, hiring somebody to exercise for you. Yeah, good. I can make some money there. <laughs> see how much I've got here, because this could. <laughs> So that is totally against scripture. Well, yeah, and so I mean, and the point is this: our salvation is because of what Christ did. It's not because of what the the dopey priest did when you paid him fifty bucks, right? And and what was happening was the focus had been taken away from Christ and placed on the mass. And 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 Luther was like, "Hold up a minute, wait a minute. This is all about Jesus." I mean, he said it himself. Like, like Jesus said, hey, you guys search the scriptures because you think that in them you find salvation and, and they're talking about me. And, and here's a practice that's taking people's attention off of Jesus and moving it to the mass. And Luther's like, bad idea, people. Why would you do that? So what, I mean, the question underneath all of this is what is worship about? What's going on in worship? And, and I think the, the fact that we call it divine service, although nobody understands what that means, is a really important part of it. Because what we mean by that is not service in the sense of this is the time when we all get together. We mean service as in service being given to us by God. That's the divine service that's happening. And what it is is that God is delivering to us His Word, um, the sacraments through which he delivers forgiveness and salvation um, and, and all of these other gifts that come with it and the teaching that comes with it. Back to your point about it all being in Latin and everybody going, I don't know what's going on, but it sounds beautiful. You know? So, so for Luther, they were like, I'm glad you all like that, but hey, let's sing some stuff in German so you actually know what we're talking about. So you maybe learn something through this and receive God's word in a way that's beneficial to you. And that's why there's so much scripture in the old original Lutheran hymns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite, we don't have a hymnal in here, but one of my favorite things about the, the I say new hymnal, it's now, what, 17 years old or something, but the hymnal that came out in 2006, 2007, um, if you get a chance when you're in the pews, open that thing up and just flip to any one of the worship services, the, the, any one of them. And over on the right column, what you'll see is, is the references to the passages where this stuff is drawn from. So when we come together and worship, one of the things that we're doing is actually speaking God's words right back to him and receiving his words to us. So we're kind of immersed in the word of God at all times, which I think is a really, really cool thing. It's a conversation with God. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we talk about, you know, the service kind of splits into the service of the word. As we're receiving the word, we start with confession absolution. Then we, we hear God's word read from the scriptures. You have the sermon, which is an exposition on God's word. And then we move into the most Sundays or every other Sunday. We move into the service of the sacrament, 
where okay cool now we kind of we've kind of primed the ground here by being in God's word now let's actually receive one of the gifts that he's given to us in the body and blood of Jesus Christ which is amazing yeah thoughts comments yeah which then speaks positively toward the use of liturgy yeah oh it absolutely does this sure. liturgy is from scripture yeah I, I read something the other day I didn't realize this but the the Latin term from which we get the word liturgy means work of the people, which is interesting. So it's, in a sense, us coming together with God and, and receiving and giving and speaking back to him. And, you know, so that's interesting. Well, it's kind of like our common table prayer, too. It's like the realization when you come across it, it was, it's in Scripture. It's mm-hmm. like we're not just making up these words. It's in Scripture. Right. It's, it's fun right. for the the children to realize yeah. that. And to have that connection all the way back. Yeah. Because I didn't realize it at all, you know, at first. It's like, well, I don't know where they come up with this. Yeah, well, and the, the, the um, common Catholic one, you know, the, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food in the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. That's a psalm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. The same thing applies to the hymns, too. Yes, yes. For example, like, I was yeah. going to ask earlier, but I didn't want to be a smart aleck. Pastors, how do you read like Isaiah 40 and not just start singing it? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to do that this morning, and it was yeah. very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> It is. So many of our hymns are, are almost word for word. And canticles, particularly, that we oh, yeah. use within worship are drawn directly from Scripture. You know, the, the nunc dimittis that we sing after worship. I sing it. Yeah. <laughs> I could <have> <laughs> ye my people. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I mean, you I should have sang it. I should have. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> So it's an interesting point, too, that, that hymns are intended to teach, you know? So, I mean, I would encourage you, pay attention to the words, because, like, there's a message in there that's really important, and it's, it's often beautiful and well put, so. All right. Other thoughts, comments, questions, complaints? Myron. Yes, Myron. What you just said there with the settings, to me, it reinforces why we use the settings. Yeah. Yes, some of the churches are getting away and are using them generic. Right. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll say two things about that. One of them is uh, there's a timelessness to those services. Um, Divine Five in particular um, has some really deep roots because it is, for the most part, Luther's liturgy. Um, so that, that follows a liturgy that Luther himself wrote. Um, but the others, you know, they go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. A lot of them even go back as far as the Didache, which is, I don't know, what century was that? Second, second century. I mean, this is really early stuff. Third um, so yeah, second or third century, something like that. So, so there's a timelessness to it, and I love that connection with the church like through all time. Um, the other thing is, I would say that the, the orders of worship that we have in our hymnal are not inspired right like none of those is the one that jesus used (laughs) so we have the freedom and the flexibility to be creative with that and i think that's not a bad thing um but 
you know, to your point about using liturgy, there are some things that I think should always be present in worship, right? We should speak a creed at least most of the time to, you know, make that confession of what our faith is. We should um, have the Lord's Prayer because Jesus was pretty clear. Hey, when you pray, here's here's a really good way to do it. Um, you know, there should be a reading of God's word. There should be a sermon. There should, you know, all these kind of things that that are kind of crucial aspects to worship that should be there. And I think those make up the building blocks of liturgy done well. Um, so does it have to be divine service setting three? No. But that's a pretty good outline for what kinds of things ought to be in it. And, and you know, I think about, you know, we come in there, matins I know is one of your favorites. Um, the service of matins, you know, I... I that just there's a grounding to that because you've probably been singing that all your life and there's that consistency of coming back and knowing that the lord never changes and that our worship doesn't change you know those kind of things too so there's yeah there's a lot to that yes you mean that the tlh of 1942 wasn't the original no that's the one jesus used yeah that's true You joke, but there are churches that, or there are people that believe. <laughs> I was a member of the church, I won't say where, many, many years ago. And there were a handful of the founding members who said that the reason that church existed was to use the TLH. TLH, if you don't know, is the Lutheran hymnal. It came out in 1941. Um, it was the first LCM, I think it was the first LCMS specific hymnal, wasn't it? Five and 15, there you go. Yeah. Five and 15. The one, the one thing I noticed with the projection screen up yes. there yeah. at the end of every hymn yeah. is the copyright thing. Yes. And if you read, I, I've been watching that. Mm. And, you know, here's one that was 1797. Right. You know, right. These are old, old hymns, but have held up because they're solid. Uh, you don't see these from 1942 yeah. or anything. Not very often anything right. current. Kind there of are thing. some, though. What was, there was one I came across I didn't realize was in our hymnal. Oh, it only takes a spark. I think that was the one. It's actually in the hymnal. Yeah. <laughs> Which I sang as a, you know, youth group when I was a kid. 1972. Yeah, I think so. It was that one or it was another one from that same generation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> All right. So, so what, what error does Article 24 reject? All the stuff we've been talking about. What's the error that it rejects? It turns worship into something else. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And so we're saying, uh-uh. Your salvation is in Jesus Christ. Um, and, and I think you answered the question, why was this position so offensive to the gospel? It's because it took the focus off of Christ, right? Um, Described from the book of Hebrews, the one sacrifice for all the sins of the world. This is the Sunday school answer. Everybody should get it. What's the one sacrifice for all the sins? There you go, Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Um, what's the connection between the Lord's Supper and faith? Ooh, that's interesting. 
Lord's Supper is received in faith for faith. There you go. In faith for faith is an excellent way to put it. I love that. Yeah. So we receive it in faith. That is, we believe the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And and in the in the faith that we have that Jesus is doing what he says he's going to do, we actually receive what he says we're going to receive. We can't Yeah, yeah. So it is, it is. Oh, that's an interesting point. Receiving the Lord's Supper is, in a sense, a confession of our faith. That we believe that we are receiving body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Cool. All right, on to the next section. His word says so. Somebody read the introduction there. How can this be? Reason asked. On the basis of Holy Scripture, we believe that Jesus gives us his true real body and blood with bread and wine in his holy supper. How this can be is fully known only to them. The Lord's Supper is a great and awesome mystery. And yet what God teaches in his word is clear. The body and blood of Jesus we receive in the holy supper. The body and blood given and shed for us on the cross are also the body and blood of the exalted and glorified God man. Exalted and glorified, Jesus is able to be wherever he promises to be and give what he promises to give. He is truly present in his body and blood with bread and wine. All right. So we're going to wrestle with this question about how in the world can it be that we receive body and blood of Christ in the sacrament. And there's a lot written on it. Um, let's, we'll take this in chunks. From um, the Apology, now we're into the we've, we're out of the Augsburg Confession and into the Apology or the defense of it. Um, we believe that in the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood are truly and substantially present and are truly administered with those things that are seen, bread and wine, to those who receive the sacrament. We constantly defend this belief as the subject has been carefully examined and considered. Since Paul says... The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? It would follow that if the Lord's body were not truly present, the bread is not a communion of the body, but only of Christ's spirit. Um, further, it says, we defend the doctrine received in the entire church. In the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood are truly and actually present. They are truly administered with those things that are seen, bread and wine. And we speak of the presence of the living Christ, for we know that death no longer has dominion over him. Romans 6, 9. How do the confessors ground their presentation in the faith and practice of the entire church? Like, like what are they up to when they kind of refer back to the church's, you know, what the church has always held? We defend the doctrine received in the entire church. Well, it, so they're kind of they're kind of making a nod to scripture and tradition, right? So when they say we when they say we defend the doctrine received in the entire church, what they're basically saying is, hey, we're not doing anything crazy here, guys. This is what the church has done always. This is what tradition has been. And and then they ground it by saying, you know, here's some scripture that explains why it is the way it is. You know, why do we understand this? Because Paul says this and Romans says that and 1 Corinthians. And so they're, they, they're basically laying on two different things. They're, and this is a very, 
Um, it's a very Catholic approach to it, which is important, because remember, they're speaking against the Catholics. And so for the Catholics, their sources of authority are twofold. Scripture and tradition. Both of them kind of placed in an equal level. And so they're going to argue it in a way that makes sense to the Catholics. Right? Now, our, our sources of authority are Scripture and tradition. Right? We'll put Scripture way above anything else. But that is the guiding norm for everything. They'll put the two on equal footing, even when they're con inconsistent. The tradition was based on what occurred and how things progressed from the people who were around Christ. Yeah, yeah. So it there's a way like to trace back to Christ and to what he did. People that were around Christ and knew what he thought and right. knew more words than what were in Scripture. Right. They created the tradition that it was based on. Right. Right. And they referenced what was most important to write right. Scripture about. Right. And that's a crucial way to understand it because what they're basically saying is the tradition is not mindless. There's actually a straight line that goes all the way back to what happened with Jesus. And we still understand that. And we know why it is what it is. And by the way, here's some scripture that proves it. So, so they're, they're, they're grounding it in scripture and in the traditions of the church and saying, we're not doing anything wacky here. They're not, they're not saying the traditions came from the Pope. Right. The right. traditions right. came from the people right. who had been with Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's the right. huge difference. Right. Too. Now, now, there's a subtle thing that they're speaking against in this, and it yeah. doesn't come out overtly, but one of the things that they're speaking against is the, is the doctrine of transubstantiation. Mm. So in the Catholic Church... The, the teaching that they put forth is that when the, pat, when the priest speaks the words of institution, the bread and the wine no longer exist. It is merely the body and blood of Christ. It is transubstantiated or its substance is changed to be body and blood, period. The bread and the wine are no longer there. And what they would say, they'd go back to some Platonic um, philosophy, basically, but they would say that it has the, what are called accidents, or the, the appearance of bread and wine, but in fact it's body and blood of Christ, and only that. And, and the, the confessors basically are pushing back on that, going, no, there's still bread and wine there. And yet there's also body and blood. And how that is, we can't tell you. Other than Jesus said it, and so we believe it, and we just accept it to be what Jesus said it is. Um, and, and they're, in a subtle way, also using Paul to make that point because Paul talks about the bread and the body of Christ and he speaks of both of it. And probably the best analogy for it is Jesus himself is 100% God and 100% man. So also the, the sacrament gives us 100% bread and 100% body and 100% wine and 100% blood. Human logic doesn't work, right? Yeah, the human logic just—I mean, it just—and that's really kind of the crux of the issue when you get into reform theology that wants to say that the body and blood isn't there because it just doesn't make sense. Um, and and the pushback is, well, yeah, I know it doesn't make sense, but God said it, therefore it must be so. And I can't tell you how or why, but I take it on faith, which you know, back to what John said a minute ago, it's like we receive this in faith mm -hmm. that, that Jesus said it and therefore we believe it. Thoughts? Question. Yeah, go ahead. 
Jesus said, uh, well, he, Jesus didn't say he acted. He did something yeah. that we don't do in community. He broke the bread. So there's some historical reasons around that. Some churches do. Um, when they when they speak the words of institution, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to those. Yeah. And they'll, they'll break the bread at that point. We don't break the bread. We don't break the bread, generally speaking, in LCMS churches. There's a historical reason for it that's much more recent than Jesus' words. And it actually comes back to some of the unity churches in Germany um, where the government was basically trying to, to take these three different major denominations that had grown up, Catholicism, Lutheranism, and Protestantism, you know, Reformed. And they were trying to smoosh it all back together because at that time the church was still part and parcel of the state. And so what they were doing was there was a requirement from the state that as you said the words of institution, you had to break the bread to show that it was only bread. Oh, okay. And the Lutherans pushed back against that and said, the heck you say, we're not going to do that because it is the body of Christ. And if you're oh, going to tell me I have to break the bread in order to prove it's only bread, I'm not going to do that. You don't want to be breaking the bread. Right, exactly. So, so that, that German practice kind of carried forward into, the, into modern times. Now, it's, that's, less, that's not an issue anymore, right? The government's not saying you've got to do it this way. <laughs> And so there is a, a bit of a resurgence that some pastors will, um, in, in keeping with Jesus' words, break the bread. Um, now, there's another symbolism in breaking the bread that it, it, it also reminds you of the breaking of Christ's body and all that kind of stuff. There's all that going on, too. But, but, yeah, the reason that we don't goes back to that very specific thing in Germany. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, all right, yeah, Robert, go ahead. So, if, hypothetically speaking, if Jesus were to come here today in mm -hmm. our presence mm -hmm. physically and and sat in the church and listened to the sermon presented right. essentially would meet all of his teachings and requirements all the way back to where he was here on earth and he would probably say good son or good daughter God willing <laughs> right. yeah. yeah I pray I mean that's our desire that's that's our we want to be true to what Scripture says and what Jesus said and to what his teaching is. And not, you know, add some kind of novel interpretation that was never there. But we can't be so arrogant as to say right. the Lutherans do everything 100%. I, I, I'm, a Lutheran, I'm a Lutheran pastor because I think we got it right, but I'm also um, humble enough to realize that I probably don't in some places. And I lean on the grace of God in that case. We must always be able to say the Holy Christian Church. Well, on sure. Earth. Yeah. yeah. Now, that is not Lutheran exclusive. No, it crosses denominational it's lines. It is those who truly have faith. In Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I so, think, did that come, you know, on the, on the e-blast that I send out, um, I think, did that come up recently or was that in some of my other reading for class? I don't remember. Talking about what the church is, you know, and and the the I, maybe it was one of our earlier sessions we talked about the church that the, the, there's this idea of the visible church, like when you look around and you're like, okay, I see all the people who are joined to a congregation and and that, but but that's not the same as the quote invisible church, which is all those who truly have faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that 
that crosses denominational lines and it uh, omits some people who are quote in the church. Um, but that's the that's the true church. But then there's also the visible church that exists, which is kind of a hodgepodge of people. I agree, John. Yes. I agree. We shouldn't tell jokes about other religions. <laughs> That's all right. They I tell mean, them about us, too. Yeah, so. no. <laughs> we have enough jokers on our own. I, I used to tell a story about my sister who turned Catholic. Okay. And she joined the Catholic Church because she got married. And anyway, uh, uh, they were doing Latin. Okay. And she was Lutheran. Yeah. And she'd been confirmed and baptized and, and everything. And she said she broke out into a laugh. Really? Physically, when uh, they changed the English. Because Latin used to say in Latin, the Mass is ended. Okay. And the people responded with, praise be to God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we're done. <laughs> I like it. But I don't tell that in church. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, here you go. Here's a better translation maybe for ex opere operato. It means merely by the work performed or accomplished by the doing. Um, why do the confessors reject this understanding of the sacraments? Satan has something to do with it. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. That's like the, the, the reverse Sunday school answer, right? Yeah. I think it leaves the Holy Spirit out of it. Say it again? I think it leaves the Holy Spirit out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, again, it, it takes the focus off of Jesus. It takes the focus off of his death and resurrection. It takes the focus off of everything and, and, and parks it on the sacrament itself and makes that an idol, essentially. Rather than recognizing that what is coming to us in the sacrament is, is a way of delivering to us what Christ actually won for us on the cross. And again, the, the, the point of the whole thing is it's all about Jesus. I mean, that's, you know, if you want to boil down the confessions and the apology and everything else that's in the book of Concord, it, it, the, the, what it basically comes down to, it's all about Jesus and it's for you. That's it. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I'm gonna, I'll cut us off right there because we're going to get into atoning and Eucharistic sacrifices, and we'll save that for next week. Um, any final thoughts, comments, complaints, regrets? <laughs> the question is answered. It is impossible to receive the forgiveness of our sins because of our own work. There you by go. By act. the outward act. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it takes faith out of the equation too. Yeah. yeah. Good point. All right. Any last thoughts? I was just thinking, as a blessed congregation, I was kind of reminded of that last Sunday. Things are happening that maybe hadn't happened for a while. I was usher when I went to clean up the coffee. It was all gone. And we were passing out bulletins. We dug them out of the trash. Awesome. We were short, and then I noticed we did communion. I had to go fetch more. Yeah. We better start picking up every day. I love that. I love that. I appreciate you telling me that because I need to tell Tabby to print more bulletins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
We are a remarkably blessed congregation, and I thank you all for that. I'm blessed to be here, I'll tell you. All right, let's, um, let's close with a prayer then. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gifts that you give to us, for the sun that shines, for the beautiful day outside, for the food that we get to eat, for all of these amazing things that happen every day, and we sometimes forget to thank you for them. So thank you. We thank you especially for the gift of your Son, for the salvation that we have through him. Um, as we go forth from here, guide and lead us in everything that we do, um, that our words and our actions might be pleasing to you and that they might bring glory to your name. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Well, thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. I pray that you learned a bit, that you met Jesus, and that your faith was built up through the discussion that you just heard. If you want to learn more about Holy Trinity, you can visit our website. It's www.holytrend.org. The website for the LCMS, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is www.lcms.org. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a great week.